you put your hands together one more time for the team that made VBS happen this week? It was awesome. Uh, my name is Holly. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. Pastor Scott and Darla are celebrating today 35 years of marriage. So we decided to give them the weekend off, um, and it's going to be an honor and joy to open the word with you this morning. Have you ever ruined a surprise? You told someone about the party. You slipped on what the gift would be. Uh, when my husband and I were just dating, we went to a wedding um, reception, and I ran into an acquaintance that I knew casually, and he said, oh, hey, Holly, how's it going? I said, oh, so good. He said, hey, I ran into your dad the other day. I saw your dad. And I said, oh, yeah, where'd you see him? He said, Starbucks. He was there with Tommy. It took all of three seconds for me to put it together. There was only one reason, one reason on God's green earth why my husband, then boyfriend, and my father would be getting together at Starbucks without my knowledge. Tommy Russo had asked for my hand in marriage, and I knew it. Oh, I had received the promise. I knew it was coming. But then there was this awful season in between. I knew he had asked. I knew he had permission. I knew he even had a ring. But then there was this awful waiting until he actually popped the question. And when Tommy came back to the table, because he wasn't there for this interaction, and I was like smiling at him like an insane person. And he's like, what is happening to my girlfriend? And another friend gave him a heads up. He said, hey, Holly knows. She knows. So he tried very hard to throw me off the scent, but I was just ready to get engaged constantly. And like bending down to tie his shoe, my heart rate would just like elevate. But there's this time in between. And the story that we're going to unpack today is the story of Sarah. And Sarah had quite the season of in between. At 65 or 66, Abraham, her husband, was promised that he would be the father of a great nation. But she remained childless until 90. Decades of in-between. And as a culture, we're not good at the waiting. We're not good at the in-between. I blame Chick-fil-A. You've barely put your order in, and they're already, like, serving you your hot and delicious food. Or Amazon. Anyone ruined for anything that doesn't come to you in two days? You're, like, watching it slowly move across the country. Yet, I've heard it said that we are a fast food generation, but we serve a crockpot God. And that in our season, and our walk of faith, there is going to be extended times of in-between. We live in that tension now, that the kingdom of God is here and now, but it's also yet to come. There are promises that we have realized and we're walking in, and they're ones that we're holding out hope for. And we're in-between and Sarah is commended for her faith. In Hebrews 11, 11, it says, By faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. But Sarah, in this story, it's found throughout the book of Genesis, 
does not always walk confidently as a woman of faith, believing and trusting in the promise. So we're just going to digest it really quickly. Um, God makes a promise to Abram. There's a couple name changes here. We have Abram and Sarai and then Abraham and Sarah, same people. But he makes a promise to Abram that he's going to be a great nation. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Then in uh, verse 7 of that same chapter, he says, and to your offspring, I will give this land. Currently, he has zero offspring. That's where he's at. Three chapters later, Abram is questioning God. He's going, what can you give me? forgetting he's the God of the universe and who does impossible things, I suppose. He says, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who's going to inherit my estate is Eliezer? So Abraham is already thinking through his, like, plan B because he's already started to doubt the promise. Genesis 15.3, he says, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir because in that day, if a man didn't have children of his own, he could adopt in one of his servants and they would become the heir. And the Lord reassures him, this man will not be an heir, but a son that's gonna come from your own body will be your heir. That's in Genesis 15. And then in Genesis 15, verse six, we see Abraham believed the Lord. So he has like this, the in-between, there's a struggle, there's a crisis of faith, there's a, am I going to trust that the promise is good enough to be fulfilled? And we have that all the time, where we know the promises of God, but the in-between, it's why our faith is likened to a race, run the race marked out with perseverance. The only reason you would need perseverance in a race is if it's long, if it's not a sprint, and our faith is, our faith walk with God is long, and there is required perseverance. It's likened to a fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Because there's opposition that comes against us, because there's this in-between. It's because God works on a timeline that's not our own. And that doesn't mean that God ceases to be faithful. Then we have 10 years after the initial promise, a decade, a decade of waiting on this promise. We get a little life update on Sarai in Genesis 16.1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Just in case you're wondering what's going on with her, still childless, 10 years later. In Genesis 17, God says, Yes, your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, because they started executing plan B, and that's a hot mess, which we'll get to in a minute. But he had to say again, yes, you're going to be a great nation. Yes, your offspring. Yes, the offspring is going to come from your own body. Yes, it's going to come from your own body and your wife, Sarah. And then the Lord finally, after 24 years of waiting, gives them a timeline. Genesis 18, 10 says, Then the Lord said, Surely I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Faith for the in-between. The in-between, the promise, and the fulfillment of that promise. Faith that's going to help us to fight the good fight of faith. Faith that's going to go the distance. And I love this scripture that's in the midst of all of this where the Lord replies, is anything too difficult for the Lord? It's the basis of our faith that there is nothing that is impossible or out of his reach. And the first thing I want you to meditate on this morning is, number one, consider the source. Hebrews 11, 11 said, she considered him faithful who had promised. 
and she's commended for her faith. It's not even faith that she necessarily had. She was considering him faithful who had promised. She was considering God to be faithful. And what does it mean to consider him faithful? God is faithful. We say that. We believe that. We can see God being faithful when he blesses us in life. And don't get me wrong, I credit God as faithful with every blessing I have ever received. I can credit God for being faithful that I have the most spectacular husband on the face of the planet in my very biased opinion. I can credit God as being faithful for all sorts of blessings in my life. But we cannot only credit God with being faithful when we're in the blessing. God's faithfulness, as depicted in 2 Timothy 2.13, says if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God is faithful to who he is. He is faithful to who he's revealed himself to be in his word. He is faithful to the promises that are in his word. That is what the faithfulness of God looks like. So is God faithful when you're promoted? 100%. Is he faithful when you're falsely accused? When you're thrown into prison? When you're forgotten about? It's the story of Joseph. Is God still faithful then? Or did God stop being faithful to us because of the season or our circumstance? No, God cannot deny himself. He is still faithful. And our faith should not be contingent on the promise. Our faith is in the one who made the promise. So when the promise tarries, when the promise delays, when it's not in your timeline, when it doesn't look like what you thought it should look like, he is still faithful. But there are people who only think God is faithful if life is good. They give him credit for all of the good things, and they blame him for every trial, every struggle, every setback. But Sarah is commended for her faith because she considered him faithful who had promised. He does not cease to be faithful because of our circumstances changing. And our faith should be attached to him, not what we're hoping he will do. It's attached to him, not the blessing that we're hoping for. And our faithfulness to him should not be contingent on our circumstance either. Because he remains faithful. And we have to hold on to faith even when. If you have notes, there's an intentional blank that has no answer because your even when is different for every life circumstance. Hebrews 11.11, as it's talking of Sarah, it says, By faith Sarah received the power to conceive even when she was past the age. Even when. Obstacles are going to come. But when you've taken hold of the promise and the source of that promise is the Lord... It doesn't matter the obstacles that come. You keep pressing through. My husband oversees our young adults, and our young adult service is on Saturday nights. And after Saturday night service, typically we'll go out to eat or we'll hang out or we'll do something, which puts us home pretty late some Saturday nights. 
So not too long ago, we got home. It's like 12.30, close, getting close to 1. And we get out of our car. We're exhausted. We're ready to go to sleep. Um, we put our key in the front door. We unlock it, and we go to turn the handle. And the handle turns, but it's not controlling the mechanism. So we cannot open our front door. A little bit of an obstacle when all you want to do is go to sleep inside your house and not in your car. So we were like, okay, we'll go around to the back door. So we went around to the back door, and that's when we learned the key to our house does not open our back door. Obstacle number two. So then we get to the side of our garage, and our garage has a door on the exterior. And then as you cross through the garage, there's a door into the house. Now, our alarm is connected to the exterior door so that if someone broke into the garage, the alarm would still go off, the police would still come, we wouldn't get robbed, yada, yada. So we're, going, we're standing there, I go, we, we have about 30 seconds once we unlock this door to get to the next door, open it, get inside, put in the code, go to sleep. It's the plan. So we unlock the door, the little warning alarm starts going off, and we hasten to the door that leads into the house, and we go to stick our key into the door, only to find it does not take that key. It's one of those like pinhole bathroom keys, which I'm sure all of you keep in your garage. So I go to the tool shed. I'm like, we have seconds before the alarm starts blaring at 12.30, almost 1 o'clock in the morning, next to our very understanding neighbors. So I'm going through the toolbox. I'm getting every Allen key. I'm shoving things in there. And then it happens. The whooping of the alarm. So we're like, all right, cut the power. So we turn off the entire breaker box. All shut down. You know, alarm companies thought of that. So now we just have no power, and it's dark now in the garage because we shut off all the power, and it's still loud. So then we get a screwdriver. No, then I said, okay, babe, it's time. We've exhausted all our options. You have to kick the door down. <laughs> so Tommy backs up, runs at the door, and like lands his foot perfectly to leave a footprint. <laughs> That's all. The door went nowhere. So now it's been, like, the alarm has been going off for, like, 15, 20 minutes, and we're, like, just, I'm, like, in the fetal position, like, crying. Um, and so we got, like, a screwdriver, and we had to, we took off the handle, and there's still the thing that goes into the door jam. So we're beating it with a hammer. Just, like, beat the door until it came down. Undid the alarm. Our neighbor's totally un un unconcerned, by the way. No one, no one was like, hey, Roosters, are you being murdered? No one cared. So we got to work on our relationship with our neighbors, apparently. Um, so anyways, we call the police. We tell them we broke into our own house. It's okay. And we got to our bed. Because we have ownership of it. We were going to get there one way or the other. Was it the best way? Probably not. But we did it. And when you live a life of faith, there's going to be obstacles. God chose a barren woman to begin with. Then he rejected Abraham's plan of, like, maybe we'll use a legal heir. Then he rejects the concubine son. And then 14 years pass, and the barren woman now is out of childbearing years, so it's doubly impossible, and he goes, perfect. And he sets himself up perfectly for a miracle. He answers, he fulfills the promise in the most improbable, impossible way so that he gets the glory. 
that we're led to trust him in a greater way and walk in humility that our plans are not his plans. This is God's MO all over scripture. The Israelites leaving Egypt, they come up to the sea. There's a mountain range. There's an army. There's a mountain range. There's the sea. They are surrounded until God intervenes and in an impossible miracle provides a way. So if you find yourself in a corner and you go, I- I've run out of options. I don't know what I'm going to do. There is no other option but to wait on the Lord for a miracle. Keep waiting because even when God is still God, is there anything that's too difficult for the Lord? The answer is no, there is not. And this is how he operates so that he can have the glory, that other people can see the goodness of the Lord and how he cares for his children. Hold on to faith even when. Hold on to faith in his plan instead of forcing your own. Because after years started going by on the promise, Abram and Sarai started coming up with their plan B. Abraham goes, all right, Eliezer, he'll be my heir. We see that in Genesis 15 too. He said, I'll, give my, I'll leave my estate to him. It's not God's plan. Sarai says, hey, take my, my maidservant Hagar, have a son with her, and then through, through him, then you'll have your, your lineage. And God said, that's not my plan. God's plan was for Abraham and Sarah to have a son of promise in the most miraculous way. And we need to be dependent on the Lord in the in-between. When you don't see how it's going to happen, when you don't understand his plan to continue to wait on him. We quote that scripture as a child, you know, lean not on your own understanding. But how often do we live that out as adults? Because our understanding goes, there's not enough money. I'm jobless. I don't have a spouse, and I've been waiting for so many years, and I don't have this, and I don't have that. And we're not to lean on our own understanding. But what happens is people start trying to force their plan, and you try to fill God in around, maybe this is what he meant. God's promises are clear in his word. Those promises are good. They don't need you to add anything to it but your faith in the one who made the promise. Young people or those who are single, do not force. Do not force it. If you're looking for a spouse, if you're waiting to be married, wait for the right person. Don't just try to make it happen. When I was 18, and when you're 18, you know everything. At least I did. Um, I was 18, and I thought I had found the one. But I also had a deep reverence for the Lord's plan for my life. So I took a week, and I was going to fast and pray and ask the Lord if this was okay to move forward in this relationship because I was in love. So I took a week. I I was at a a friend's house. Um, She had a dock. I sat out on the dock, and I remember the first day I prayed, and the Lord gave me my answer. And for the rest of the week, I prayed that he would change his mind. Because the Lord said no. And I was like, but God, he loves you, and he's serving you, and he's, he's all of these things that I love, and I, I, this, is, cause this is such a good thing. Why? Because God was wanting me to follow his plan and not my plan 
And I'm thankful that I did that because that young man that I had interest in, he didn't have a faith that was going to go the distance. He didn't have a faith that was going to run the race with perseverance. He didn't have a faith that was going to fight the good fight of faith. And he was not Tommy Russo. Most importantly, I waited until I was almost 24 years old before Tommy and I dated. And he was my first boyfriend. When you go to Bible college and you come out single and having never dated, people start to think there's something wrong with you. But you wait. If you wait for the Lord's plan, Tommy is so much more than anything I could have imagined marriage was going to be like. Is it hard? Yes. Do we want to kill each other sometimes? Yes. Was I disappointed he couldn't kick a door down? (laughs) Just kidding. But it's just so much better if you follow God's plans as as they're set out in Scripture. There's no scripture that says, thou shalt marry Tommy Russo, Holly Sheridan Young. There was not, was not there. But I prayed and I sought God and I said, what's your plan for this? And when the answer was something I didn't like, I just had to keep saying, okay, God, I trust you. Even if it takes 24 years, I trust you. Now, listen, you might be sitting and going, hey, I feel like I am in the, I, 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 I messed up. Somewhere along my life, I forced a plan I shouldn't have forced. I I did something in my own effort, my own energy, instead of control. And there's a bit of a mess. I just want to encourage you, this woman of faith that God is commending, that the Lord commends in Hebrews 11, homegirl was a bit of a mess. She made a mess. She's like, Abram, take Hagar, have a child. Then she gets pregnant, and she's kind of mean to Sarah. And so Sarah's like, get out of here. So she sends her away and is mean to her. Then the angel of the Lord has to appear to Hagar and bring her back into the camp. And there's this animosity and this tension, and it's not good. And there's all of this time that goes by because she forced a plan. But just because she forced a plan and took a step out of what God was calling them to believe for does not mean her destiny was destroyed. And if you feel like you've taken a sidestep, you forced something, you're living with the repercussions of a decision you made that wasn't God-honoring, it doesn't matter. Today, God's plan starts for you today. He cannot deny himself, and his character is redemptive. His heart is gracious, and he wants to bring back into alignment what we've made out of whack. And all of us have. All of us have in certain ways where we've taken license, we've done something. But I want to encourage you from this point forward, where you're starting today, exactly in your situation, trust God. Lean on not your own understanding, but on his, and trust God for his plans. And then the last thing is, in the in-between, don't lose sight of the big picture. Pastor spoke about this not that long ago. He brought out a cross-stitch of uh, Jesus, and he talked about how one of the individual stitches, you can't see anything when you look at one individual stitch or a row of stitches, but when you back up, you can see how they all come together to make this beautiful picture. And though that was only a few weeks ago, I feel that it's not inappropriate to have a reminder of this because we lose sight of the big picture so quickly and so often, and especially when we're in this in-between We can see the big picture once we're on the other side. Like, looking back and reading Sarah's story, we're like, yeah, I can see the big picture here. Mm -hmm. She should have had faith. She should have waited. 
She should not have done that Hagar stuff. That was a step in the wrong direction. Silly Sarah. It's easy to do that when we're reading the story. But could you imagine living for decades? When was the last time you waited on a promise for decades? But we don't have the big picture. That's why we rely on God and God's plans, because he has the big picture. It's why we trust when the even when looks so daunting, but we can have faith in him because he is faithful and because he sees things in a bigger spectrum than we could possibly understand it. God was playing for an end game. And out of the lineage of Abraham and Sarah came Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the reason that we are here today. She didn't understand that in the moment. She didn't, certainly didn't understand it when she was like, hey, here's Hagar. But Jesus was the end game, and he continues to work on a tapestry that's bigger than you can possibly understand. Romans 6, uh, sorry, Romans 9, 6 through 8 says, but this is Paul writing, he says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel, and not all children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means... Ooh, sorry, I just got a little unsteady. I almost just fell over. All right. I'm like fighting a sickness. I'm just going to a little insight into that. I'm going to take my heels off because I legitimately almost fell over. All right, here we go. We're better. Good. Pastor Mark, could you bring me that cup of water that's right there? That would be awesome. Whew, that's when the word of God is so powerful. You're reading it and you just almost just pass out in the spirit. Thanks, Pastor Mark. Give it up for Pastor Mark, helping me not pass out. Bless the Lord. Thank you. All right, it came back up. We're good. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means um, that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise that are counted as offspring. He's saying that in your human efforts, in your best attempts, we are not enough. We are not enough. It was the children of promise that were counted as offspring. The children of God. Not through this, this side plan with Ishmael and Hagar, but through the plan that God had intended from before the world began. He intended for Jesus to be the Savior, and he was coming out of the house and the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Lord was working for that, and we have to be able to back up and see the big picture or trust God when we can't. When our family was moving um, from Canada to Sarasota, um, my parents were pastoring a large church. Things were going well. And God called them to Sarasota. And the church that we were coming to was a result of like a church split that split that split and then they came back together and they're like we don't have enough people we have to just get over our differences they had no money $127 in the bank three mortgages oh which they overspent throwing a welcoming party three mortgages one they did not know existed and a handful of people 
And when we were getting ready to move because the Lord said to pastor, you can either pastor a thousand without me or five with me, which was it going to be? So he came. A month before our house closed, my mom was up in her prayer time, and Darla Joy is a woman of prayer, and she prays hard. And she was praying. She's like, Lord, if there's anything wrong with this house, we're selling it to this great Christian family. Like, just bring it to light. Um, That evening, our family had a fire in the fireplace, uh, put it out, went to bed, and in the middle of the night, the fire alarm is going off, and the house is full of smoke. And by this grace of God, Amanda, my older sister, had just gone through fire safety. She got me out of bed, and she said, Holly, get beneath the smoke. Mom and Dad are going to come get us. And my parents came and got us and got the the four kids out, the dog, called the, the fire department, and they came, and they were trying to find the source of the fire. Well, the fire was inside the wall, which is particularly dangerous if you understand fires because if it was to escape the wall and get a hold of the oxygen in the room, it would have caused an explosion. Praise the Lord, that didn't happen. But what had happened, the cause of the fire, was that the, the men who built our fireplace were drinking, and instead of putting a, a row of bricks and then mortar, there was a row of bricks and beer caps. So every time we had a fire, it would heat the windowsill next to the fireplace, and then that night it combusted, and this fire was inside the wall. So we'd now call this family and say, hey, do you still want to buy our house? (laughs) Caught fire a little. And the guy on the other end, so just let me tell you, this, this man on the other end, he bought the house sight unseen for his wife. That is a man of faith. And he said two things when he saw the house. He said, my wife's not going to like the carpets, and she's not going to like the color of the walls, but it's too new. She'll have to deal with it. So when my dad called and said, hey, we've had a house fire. Do you still want to move forward? He said, this is incredible. Your insurance is going to pay for my wife to get the kind of carpet she wants and the new color walls. We'll take it. So then... We're getting ready to move, and we're, everything, is, everything is either destroyed by smoke or the dry clean. It's like the Lord was just saying, this is going to Florida. This is not going to Florida. This is going to Florida. This is not going to Florida. And then when it came time for the insurance company to replace all of our damaged items, they said, listen, it's so close to the time that you're moving. We can't possibly replace everything. Is it okay if we just write you one big check? Yes. Yes, please. Because when our family moved here, there was so few people in the church. No money. The salary was zero. My dad was a Canadian citizen. He couldn't work doing anything else because of the visa he was in the country in. If it wasn't for that house fire, our family would not have survived when we moved here. So in the middle of the night, when the alarm goes off and your house is full of smoke, it's easy to go, God, what are you doing? You asked us to move. We're moving. We're leaving our church. We're leaving our friends. We're leaving our home. What are you possibly doing? This has to be a mistake. But when you trust God and go, you know what? I don't see the whole picture. He goes, I'm taking care of you. By God's grace, our house caught fire. To his glory, our house caught fire. And because of that, he sustained us when the church was too small to support. So you can see a piece and go, how does this fit in? 
but when you can see the sovereign grace of God. And to understand that we're never going to see the big picture like he sees it. So in the in-between, a faith that's for the in-between sees that we're never going to know it all. And in humility leads us to trust the one who made the promise, not the promise itself. And that's difficult. That's a hard place to be. Sarah is really easy for me to identify with. Sarah desperately wanted a child. I desperately want a child. She waited years. Lord, hopefully I don't have to wait that many years. But I understand going, God, why not me? I've sat across from doctors that have given me percentages that are not encouraging. I've gone for treatments. But it doesn't waver my faith in who God is. God is not any less faithful to me because he cannot deny himself. And he, my faith isn't contingent on the things that God can give me or chooses not to give me. The level of my devotion to him is not contingent on the blessings that I have. The way that I worship or the way I trust God does not change because of what I do not have. I continue to trust. I continue to have faith. I continue to believe God in the in-between. But I don't lose sight that he is still unbelievably faithful. He is still the God of the in-between. And when you're waiting for a promise, it's easy for the enemy to come in and try to sow seeds of doubt into who God is. But he is so much bigger and so much greater and so much more worthy than we can possibly imagine that our only response should be humble adoration for a God that was faithful enough to do the greatest miracle of all time, to offer us salvation that we could never have gotten on our own. And because of that, because of that faithfulness, I worship in the in-between. Because of that faithfulness, I remain faithful in the in-between because it's who he is and it's what he deserves. Would you stand with me for prayer? The prayer team's gonna come forward. Those who are serving communion are gonna ready the table of the Lord. And I just wanna encourage you today if you're in, in the in-between, if you're believing for a promise that seems impossible, don't lose heart. Don't doubt God. Oh, don't doubt God. Don't let the enemy tell you he is any less faithful. Because even when we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. He is unwaveringly good. 
And he deserves all of our praise and all of our adoration simply for who he is, even if he chooses to not do one more thing for us. But in his graciousness and in his goodness, he chooses to. So we're going to turn our hearts to the Lord for a moment of prayer. God, we love you. Father, we are so thankful that you see the big picture. God, help us to be humble in your hands and obedient to help your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, as you. You see all things. And you're calling us to deeper levels of faith in you. Father, I pray for those who are going through a difficult time, a hard circumstance. Father, I just pray, Lord, that we would not give ear to the enemy that would cause doubt in our gracious Father. But, Lord, that we would trust you. That we would build our lives upon your word because it's a firm foundation. The love that you have for us is so good and so incredible, we cannot even begin to fathom it. So, Lord, let us give you all of the worship that you are due. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can come forward for prayer. Come forward for communion.